0: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, GM cruising to another all-time high as one tech titan bets big on its driverless cars. How our traders are playing this record run straight ahead. Plus, we're breaking down the banks. More earnings hitting the street today. We heard from Goldman Sachs and Bank of America find out why both stocks finished the day in the red. And you're looking live at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. President-elect Joe Biden is about to make remarks that a COVID memorial ceremony will bring you the comments live as soon as he begins. But we start off with an earnings alert on Netflix. That stock is surging almost 13 percent in the after hours following a strong beat on user growth. Let's get to Julia Borson with more details. Julia.
1: Melissa, this is Netflix's biggest post-earning surge since July of 2017. Now that surge is on better than expected user growth of eight and a half million in the quarter that's two and a half million more than the company's guidance no expectations for first quarter subscriber growth though did fall short of expectations. But the company also guided to better than anticipated first quarter bottom line results as it announced it expects the full year's free cash flow to be around break even, saying they believe they no longer have a need to raise external financing and they will explore returning cash to shareholders through stock buybacks going forward. Now, in the quarterly letter to shareholders, co-CEOs Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos Acknowledge the surge of competition. They write, quote, Our strategy is simple. If we can continue to improve Netflix every day to better delight our members, we can be their first choice for streaming entertainment. This past year is a testament to this approach. Disney Plus had a massive first year, 87 million paid subscribers, and we recorded the biggest year of paid membership growth in our history. We will hear more when the company hosts its quarterly video call, that starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. Melissa.
0: Julia, just to get a little bit more color on on how the first quarter guidance for, for additions fell short. If you took the one and a half million excess in the fourth quarter and added it to the first quarter, how does that stack up to expectations?
1: It looks like it's a it's directly shifting it. So yeah. two and a half million stronger than expected in this quarter. And the guy and, and what Netflix is guiding for in the first quarter is two and a half million short of expectations. So it may just have been a shift of that user additions from from one quarter into another. We've talked a lot in the past, Melissa, about a pull forward effect. Mm-hmm. The real question is how much the pandemic is pulling forward demand that might have existed this year and beyond.
0: All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, with the latest on Netflix. Again, that stock is up by 12 and a half percent. Guy, cash flow positive starting next year. It doesn't need external Financing for day to day operations. Uh, Netflix has all grown up now.
2: Pretty amazing. It it sounds hauntingly for me. The Tesla story was, it's incredible how similar that is. And the bear case, obviously, for Netflix has been exactly that. And you wonder now, you know, Netflix might be going from a subscription story to uh, a a cash flow and earnings story, which I think is fascinating, something I don't think anybody would have thought it 's interesting, some of the ancillary names though Roku got an upgrade today before I think the market opened from JP Morgan. that stock made an all time high today, and it 's be really interesting to see how Disney trades on the back of this, and to a certain extent, how Fubo trades on the back of this, all things we talked about. We talked with Rich Greenfield a couple weeks ago about it. How do you trade Netflix on the back of this? A staggering quarter, first time ever, more than two hundred million subs globally. It's amazing. We say it all the time. Reed Hastings, one of the most underrated, in my opinion, CEOs in the country, has done an incredible job. I can think of only two missteps over the last decade. But 575, I think 38 or so, was the prior all-time high in September. That's your bogey. Given this quarter, the stock should be through that level. But watch tomorrow. See how it trades. If it doesn't break that, my sense it's going to trade five, six times normal volume. That's your line in the sand. I would be inclined to be taking some money off the table here, but there's no denying how amazing the quarter was.
0: When I read the shareholder letter, Karen, it, it really struck me as to how confident management must be in its ability to generate cash to become neutral this year. It said that it's going to pay off the debt maturing in February 1st with cash on hand. It's going to explore share, share buybacks. You don't say these things to shareholders unless you're pretty sure that you're going to do it.
3: Yeah, they don't say whether they're what price they would buy shares, but I I agree with you. Right. They seem very confident on the cash flow break even. I mean, at this valuation, if they buy a million shares, that's five hundred million dollars. Is that no more five sixty now? I don't know. So you can't own this stock for a buyback. Right. Mm -hmm. It has to be for all the other fantastic things. I am, you know, wouldn't have been on this ride for several hundred points. So you know, I don't have, uh, I, I'm not celebrating here. I just think though, that was really an extraordinary quarter. They always seem to have guidance that, um, I don't know, I think they're probably under-promisers over-deliverers. Sometimes they get it wrong on the subscribers, but this, this quarter was really amazing. And if you look at the content and you look at it a week or two ago when they talked about how much new content they would have, that's exciting, far more exciting to me than the share buyback.
0: Yeah, we had all speculated when they had announced that they would have a new movie or TV show every single week of the year that that would mean automatically increased cost for content, sort of raised our eyebrows at that in terms of the cash that it would be required to keep up with that pace, Tim. What do you think we, you know, I say we, in sort of the general sense of people who are in the bear <laughs> camp, got wrong about Netflix?
4: The proverbial we thrown right at this uh, this long-time relative bear and certainly haven't been bullish on owning the stock. I, and, and, I, and I think you know, the story that you've highlighted here, make no mistake, this is really, I think, less about content, although content ultimately leads to what we're talking about, which is cash flow neutral. Um, so margin and, and free cash flow dynamics. And yeah, I mean, when I read uh, on, on the release uh, through the lines and the headlines that talked about beginning to return cash to shareholders, I said, wow, this is a very, very different release. So is this that inflection point for the company? I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, you know, ultimately, again, I, I would go back to, look, if this works for Netflix, it works a lot better for Disney. And, and that's going to be my trade on this. You know that's mm. my trade on this. Um, but the fact that we're talking about free cash flow neutral, um, also where the sub growth is coming from. So you rightly pointed out the wash between uh, this quarter and the first quarter, you know, whatever. You, you have what you have. You have about 15 million subs. Uh, but where it's coming from and the international growth and some markets that I think culturally are more challenging. And so you're getting out of the Middle East, uh, Eastern Europe. That's very impressive. Uh, I don't chase the stock here. I don't want to own this valuation. There's better places to do it. But Netflix clearly also has more pricing power than they thought. They just raised prices.
0: Yeah. We, we often talk about stocks that have massive runs, massive valuations, and how that may impute value onto other stocks in similar industries. And I think that's what Tim is getting at, Dan, in terms of Disney. Does this mean that other streaming services should be valued more based on what we're seeing from Netflix? Or is Netflix really setting the standard so high that it proves that the other streaming services have a much harder tra- track ahead to compete?
5: Well, I think what's interesting about Netflix is obviously that they're a first mover, they're a pioneer, and they're a pure play on the streaming model, right? And so the knock for them for years was the, free, the negative free cash flow that it took to acquire this content, build this massive audience. And, and we were just saying, listen, the competition's coming. All of these huge media companies with these massive catalogs, they're going to pull it back and they're going to offer their own streaming services. To date, Disney's barely been the only one to be able to do that in a way. And, and, and just because it happened during the pandemic, it hasn't really been a big competitive threat. We know that uh, NBC Universal, Peacock had a pretty good launch. We know HBO Max, pretty good launch. Um, So, you know, at the end of the day, if one of the main pillars was competition, they got pretty lucky because it kind of all happened during the pandemic. If you look at their 2020 ads, a lot of them happened in the first and second quarter. Julia talked about that pull forward here. Even though that that subbeat in Q4 was better than expected, I don't think it's that Particularly exciting. And to go back to Guy's last point, this stock made an all-time high in mid-July. It made a series of just it had a series of rejections below that prior high, one in September, one in October, one in November. So here we are with a stock at 565. That all-time high was at 575. I'd be really surprised if on that guidance it breaks out here. Um, I think you probably see some profit taking. I think this stock remains range-bound for probably a bit longer here.
0: What do you think, Guy, is the, is the message um, from the Netflix quarter for the other streaming services? That you need to have this many subscribers in order to be free cash flow neutral? I mean, that, that's a huge hill to climb for a lot of the other ones.
2: No question. You stay the course and you'll be rewarded for it, but to your point, I mean, Netflix probably has, and Tom Rogers doesn't come on, he knows better than I, but they have a <laughs> six or seven year head start on everybody else, so I don't know if you can necessarily then take that math and say, okay, in five years, Disney will be there. I would submit they probably won't be, but that's what makes markets. I think it's Netflix World. I do think it's going to drag up some of these other names. Again, I don't see it, but you're probably seeing Roku, which had a huge day today, probably higher on the back of it. And Disney is probably getting dragged along as well. But in my, this is just my opinion. Netflix, is, it's Netflix best in class. And everybody else is vying for second place. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And I don't necessarily think it's going to be as um, symmetrical to get the cash flow positive for some of these other companies.
0: All right. By the way, we're just showing you Roku and Disney each up about 2 percent apiece. For more Netflix, let's bring in media mogul Tom Rogers, former NBC cable president and TiVo CEO. He's now executive chairman of Engine Media and a CNBC contributor and, of course, a fast money friend. Good to see you, Tom.
6: Great to be here.
0: I will start you off with the same question I asked Guy, and that is, what is the message to the competitors of Netflix from this quarter?
6: Well, as a longtime media veteran, what this earnings report says to me is that Netflix will be the most valuable media company in the world. Uh, So in that sense, I think Guy got it absolutely right. Um, You know, the thing that makes it different for Disney, why this does not work better for Disney despite the fact that I respect the hell out of Tim and everything he says, is that with success, there is no cost to Netflix. With streaming success for the legacy media companies, there is huge cost. And that cost is pretty much being ignored. What we've known already is that the cord cutting disruption is obviously wreaking havoc on the models for the network business. What we saw this quarter is that HBO decided it could not compete in streaming without putting all of its movie slate on HBO Max. I think Disney is likely to follow that. They're toying with it a little bit. They talked about all kinds of flexibility. But when you start thinking about the cost to the legacy business, the unraveling of the cable satellite bundle, not being able to look at the theatrical window is driving – uh, the huge kind of values it has there for Disney in particular and other companies. What it means in terms of having to forego all the licensing costs to external parties in international licensing as they use that content on their own platforms. That cost is meaningful and it's not being factored in. Now, the sub numbers people look at are the headline things and they're meaningful, but they're not as meaningful as pricing power. As was mentioned, Netflix is raising price and do, consistently doing so across the globe. It's not as important as engagement. Netflix has five times the engagement in terms of hours spent that Disney Plus does. It has five times what HBO and Showtime combined have. And that brings with it further pricing power. You have to look at budget. And yes, Netflix has put pressure on the other guys to increase their budget. It has pushed out the cash flow break even for the others as its cash flow break even has accelerated and that international distribution story that it has where it's getting meaningful sub uh, arpu numbers out there versus disney which everybody got excited about but one-third of their numbers were coming from india with sub one dollar arpus which is a very different contribution in terms of international sub value that when netflix is being put up on the board And when you put that together, you got to ask, what's the bet left of the bear thesis? Originally, it was, oh, they're going to lose friends. Their whole programming strategy is going to go away. That turned out to be nonsense. Then it was, these guys will never hit cash flow break even. Well, they've shown their cash flow positive this year, and they're going forward. They're going to be cash flow positive. Then it's competition is really going to limit them. Well, we've seen with the competition, they're still the number one. It's, as Guy said, Who's going to else are you going to have? Netflix has the pole position. They will be in almost all streaming homes.
3: Tom, it's Karen. I hear what you're saying on pricing power. This seems, though, like an arms race in terms of content. And is that part of their strategy to just sort of a Reagan-era arms race, and hopefully um, nobody will be able to compete? I know they say they like competition, but what do you think the grand strategy is?
6: Well, it's clearly to create a model which they've done that allow them to sustain a much higher programming budget than anybody else. They're on their way to 20 billion. They're on their way to uh, this year, one new movie a week, more than one new movie a week. Uh, I think with a 20 billion dollar budget. They will probably be able to introduce one new series or one new movie every day. That's going to have impact well beyond what anybody else can do. They can do it very efficiently because of the international programming strategy they've developed. No, I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there this uh, uh, last week watching a Norwegian series called Occupied, which was just fantastic. They have the ability to leverage local programming from other markets and turn it into really meaningful uh, programming with huge audiences in this market. Uh, So that programming strategy just puts them way ahead. Now, clearly Disney recognizing that they had to be much more in than they originally were and much more in than their original uh, numbers estimated, went from $4 billion to $8 billion in, in programming. That's mm-hmm. going to matter. That's going to have impact. You can't ignore that competition. It will drive engagement. But Netflix being in a position that's well-accessed anybody else in terms of the kind of buzz that they've been able to drive from right. their program is just going to continue to be number one. And with that, I think, will ultimately drive more value than any other media company. You could argue they're undervalued. You could argue Disney is overvalued. There's still, even with today's rise in Netflix aftermarket price, Disney's $70 billion more in market cap.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, over time, Netflix will be the more valuable company. Today, people are extremely excited about what a strong out-of-the-gate uh, Disney um, uh, record showed. But, uh, you know, that's that's only subs are part of the story. Sure. The rest of these pieces are much more important.
0: Be sure to put Occupy on the uh, on the to watch list, Tom. Thanks for the tip. Thanks for the analysis. We appreciate it. Always good to see you. Thanks for having me. Tom Rogers, Bank of America had an interesting note out today saying 2021 will be peak competition, a very strong competition when it comes to the streaming wars. But the consumers will probably have budget for three uh, streaming services. So, Dan, if not Netflix, then what?
5: Well, you know, it's funny. So Tom makes a great point about a media company. Um, You know, it's going to be the most valuable one. But I guess the point is if Disney could do what it's done in the last six months, up almost 50 percent. And with 30 percent of their business with the the parks and the studios and all this stuff shut down, I I think it's Disney going forward. Tom has been fantastic. on Netflix for years and years and years, and he's come on our show, and he's schooled a bunch of us on that. Um, but I think from here on out, I think what you're saying is, would you rather, I'd rather Disney mail.
0: <laughs> I wasn't, but I'll allow you to do that. And just quickly, we should, we should note that this conference call, or this call with analysts, which is not really a conference call, starts at 6 o'clock. A lot can happen on that call. So, Karen, I'm curious, what question would you have for management? Because <laughs> it seems like a very critical quarter, this one, for Netflix.
3: I guess it's sort of furthering on your question about cash flow break even, but that's not the end game, right? So what could they really, I mean, what kind of cash flow could they really generate? To think about buying back stock, you kind of want to be generating cash. So how do they see that playing out?
0: All right. Uh, that stock is up 13 percent right now. Coming up, GM speeding to another record high thanks to some big money from Microsoft. We'll tell you the news that got this stock cruising today, plus another big week for the banks. Goldman Sachs and Bank of America both out with results today. We'll break down the numbers, tell you how to trade it. And as we head out, another live look at Washington, D.C., as we await remarks from President-elect Joe Biden. He's about to speak at a memorial honoring COVID victims. we we'll are bringing that live as soon as he begins. Stay with us. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are tracking the trades in the banks as earnings roll in. Bank of America and Goldman Sachs both out with results today. Goldman posting blowout results for the fourth quarter driven by strength in its investment banking unit, while Bank of America reported mixed results, record low rates weighing on revenues for the quarter Uh, both stocks finishing the day in the red. I I feel like we see this all the time. The first batch of banks turn out to be okay. The whole group trades up. Then the second batch don't get so lucky, Tim.
4: We've seen it and, and I think we've we've spent a lot of time talking about how the yield curve changes that we've seen in the new year didn't mean anything to net interest income in the fourth quarter. I, I think the issue at Bank of America uh, is is that the fee income was was less than expected. Um, meanwhile, the credit, uh, and the capital story there are better than expected. So what, what would you rather be investing in now with a company that uh, I think is still very cheap relative to historic and, and even to peers, at least to JP Morgan? So um, I'm long Bank of America. There, there was no reason to be buying banks aggressively into any of these earnings after, in many cases, a 40 to 60 uh, to percent move really since November. And I think that's the same story here. You do have net interest income uh, tailwind in your favor. I mean, Think of the conversation we were having last week. All people could talk about was higher interest rates. Nobody's talking about that today. Well, you should be thinking about that if you own a money center bank. Yeah. Karen, what did you make of these quarters?
3: Uh, I agree with Tim exactly on Bank of America. I own Bank of America as well. I don't own um, Goldman Sachs. There's nothing not to like about goldman sachs quarter except exactly what tim said the stock is up i don't know nearly fifty percent in not a lot of time and their quarters tend to be much more lumpy and so the street doesn't give the same multiple to lumpy earnings as it does to more predictable earnings so that's why bank of america has higher earnings and i think it's a little bit of a delay to get that net interest margin improvement for bank of america they had a lot of deposits that they weren't able to um, earn on, and I think they'll be able to expand that margin in the first quarter. So there was nothing not to like about uh, about Goldman Sachs, for sure, except that it had run up. Same a little bit for Bank of America. was a, a little light. The debt capital markets wasn't great, although equity capital markets was great. I own Morgan Stanley. They're going to report tomorrow. That's a bit of a different business model. That's uh, wealth management and um, investment banking. And I think both of those will do well tomorrow. But maybe the stocks run up too much in front of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, talk about Lumpy. Management at Goldman already said that 21, 2021 may not be as good in trading. Surprise, surprise, Guy.
2: Well, of course, you mentioned Lumpy. And I know you know this, but that was obviously Bill Murray's nickname in the great movie Scrooged. Uh, but you know what I do. I digress as I typically do. What I will say is, in terms of Goldman Sachs, this was a stock on November 2nd so just look at the run that it's had and this is a stock that goes either side of book value and now at about 1.35 times book you wonder if it's sort of at the extended uh, side of the pool I'm not saying it's getting back to book but it would make a lot of sense to go back to I think the July highs which about 245 250 nothing wrong with the quarter nothing wrong at all I think it does that back and fill but Dan Nathan by the way said for a long time uh, that Morgan Stanley is the best-looking financial chart out there, and we're going to find out tomorrow if he's right. He's been right.
5: My sense is he will continue to be right.
0: Yeah, you still like Morgan Stanley going into the quarter, I assume, Dan.
5: Well, you know what they say about a blind squirrel, Mel. Um, you know, that was the one. I, listen, I think for the very reasons that Karen uh, just mentioned, you know, the diversification in their streams, and I do think that you're going to see, like you mentioned about the lumpy trading, I think you're going to see really, really difficult compare comparisons on investment banking, too. So, yeah, I'd stick with Morgan.
0: Coming up, President-elect Joe Biden is about to make remarks at a COVID memorial ceremony in Washington, D.C. We'll take you there live after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. You're looking live at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. President-elect Joe Biden is about to speak at, an, at a memorial honoring the more than 400,000 Americans who have died from coronavirus. We'll bring you the remarks as soon as they begin. In the meantime, we want to talk about his cabinet. The Senate Finance Committee holding a confirmation hearing today for Biden's Treasury Secretary pick Janet Yellen. Yellen urging lawmakers to support uh, Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan, saying it is critically important to act now, and not only act now but act big, because why not? Interest rates are at historic lows. This seems to make a lot of sense, uh, Dan Nathan, but how about the debt? That, That was a big question. That was a big pushback.
5: Yeah, I mean, they didn't care about the debt in the last, uh, you know, few years. I don't know why they would care now. I think if uh, Mnuchin was still the uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Yellen's uh, predecessor, I think he was on board for something that looked like $2 trillion for a lot of the same reasons. So, um, you know, I-, I think you make the point, Mel, with interest rates here, uh, with interest rates not really going up anytime soon, and largely because of the fact they've tacked on 4 or $5 trillion in debt in just the last few years, this is the time to do it. I agree. You go big.
0: So this could mean good things for the economy in terms of stimulus directly to consumers. But, Karen, does this give you more hope for things like infrastructure?
3: Definitely. I think, as infrastructure, you put people to work. And we really need infrastructure, not that we don't need some of these other things. But, yeah, I'm more optimistic. I think those stocks are trading with that kind of optimism. One thing Janet Yellen did sort of float out there, not so overtly, but was a 50-year bond which we haven't seen but i mean if you're going to go big you might as well go m- long term you know increase that duration and go big I-, I i get what they're saying i don't know i'm not fully a m- monetary uh theorist but I-, I i think that's what they're going to do yeah a lot of debt why not
0: i, I believe that treasury secretary stephen mnuchin had ex- explored at least the idea of a much longer dated uh treasury It seems like you could do that. It seems like you could sell recovery bonds or something of that sort to fund whatever project you wanted to fund, Guy.
2: No doubt about it. I think Gary Cohn talked about a 100-year bond Mm -hmm. when he was part of the administration. So I think a lot of people have brought it up. It makes a lot of sense in this interest rate environment, but it all comes back to when, you know, Dan talked about it. When do these debts, when do these deficits, when does all this matter? And apparently it doesn't. But I will say, despite Janet Yellen talking up or trying to talk up, the U.S. dollar. Everything we just talked about for the last minute and a half, two minutes, leads to a lower dollar in 2021. And although I understand people saying that's a good thing for multinationals, at a certain point, it's a bad thing for everybody. And I'm cons- my concern is we're going to get that point precarious very quickly. On top of which, interest rates going higher uh, again is a bullish thing until it's not. So just be careful about both those things happening in unison over the next couple months.
0: It just, it's interesting that you thought that Yellen's comments talked up the dollar. I, I, I felt like I got the message, let the market set the dollar. Uh, you know, the dollar will trade as the dollar trades, Tim, but maybe that's the job of a Treasury Secretary. <laughs> I think Tim is frozen. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tim's frozen. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering why he was just plain ignoring me. A guy will go back... <laughs> I'll go back to you. I mean, it happens sometimes. I might say something out of turn, or you know, but you you, you took that away from Yellen's comments on the dollar.
2: No, and you know, I should have specified. I was talking about comments she made, I think, a week or so earlier when she talked about, you know, the want for a strong dollar policy Mm -hmm. and those things. Maybe these comments were sort of walking that back. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, you talk about historically administrations are all about a stronger U.S. dollar policy, which might be true publicly. I think privately they have a much different view. This now, by the way, this posture is sort of 180 from the Trump administration, which is vocal in their want for a weaker dollar. It's just very interesting what's going on. In terms of, though, a weaker dollar, you know, be careful what you wish for in terms of uh, stock traders and investors out there. Because if the U.S. dollar, if
0: you watch the Dixie, you know, close below 88, not good. We want to go Uh, straight uh, to President-elect Joe Biden.
8: We're waiting to command and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If there are any angels in heaven, they're all nurses. We know from our family experience what you do, the courage and the pain you absorb for others. So thank you, thank you. Your Eminence Cardinal Gregory and Yolanda Adams. To heal, we must remember It's hard sometimes to remember, but that's how we heal. It's important to do that as a nation. That's why we're here today. Between sundown and dusk, let us shine the lights in the darkness along the sacred pool of reflection. Remember all whom we lost.
7: Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I know that there's a God above, and all I've ever learned from love is how to shoot at someone who outdrew you. It's not a cry you hear at night. It's not someone who's seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: on the eve of President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration. Tomorrow, uh, as we saw the lights go up on the National Mall, we also saw lights uh, go on across the country in cities and towns at monuments, iconic uh, buildings like the Empire State Building, uh, the Space Needle in Seattle, to honor the 400,000 American lives lost to the coronavirus. Bass, Money be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. General Motors cruising to a new all-time high today. The stock gaining nearly 10% as one tech titan makes a big investment in its driverless car unit. Phil LeBeau's got the details. Phil.
9: Hey, Melissa, fourth best day ever for General Motors, and we can't emphasize this enough. This stock, and I know people will say, look, it's not really its all-time high. It's just since it came out of bankruptcy. But, yes, this is the highest since it came out of bankruptcy, the government-mandated bankruptcy, happening back in 2009. GM and Microsoft partnering on autonomous vehicles, and both GM and Microsoft combining for an in investment in Cruise, which is the GM subsidiary, which is developing autonomous vehicles. They're in there along with Honda, other institutional investors, $2 billion, a little over that for the fundraising round. The valuation for Cruise is now $30 billion, and Microsoft will be working with Cruise, bringing its software, cloud computing technology for autonomous vehicles, which is crucial as they develop this autonomous vehicle network
2: we look at the self-driving space and what we're doing at Cruise, this is going to be the largest deployment of mission-critical AI out into the real world. So it's a very natural partnership to have Microsoft and Cruise come together, given those uh, complementary capabilities and
7: opportunities.
9: We're still a ways out from, and I'm thinking maybe a couple of years, before we actually see the public in these cruise autonomous vehicles, though they are being tested out in real-world traffic in San Francisco. This chart is something that people will sit there and look at and say, oh, come on, you can't be serious. One month, and I know it's just one month, but in the last month, what's the best-performing auto stock? General Motors, better than Tesla, better than Ford, Stellantis, better than uh, Toyota. None of them have done had a better month than uh, than GM in the last month. And one last thing, as long as we're talking about autonomous vehicle companies and valuations, the, the ones that people really focus on, we're talking about Waymo, Cruise and Argo AI. These are the latest either publicly confirmed valuations from the, the uh, companies in the case of Cruise and Argo AI or one of the latest estimates in the case of Waymo. Though I should point out, many people believe Waymo's valuation is likely much higher than that, though the company, Waymo itself, is not giving a valuation at this point. Melissa. Hmm.
0: Phil, thank you. Phil Lebeau. We've been talking about this re-rating of General Motors for, I feel like, months at this point, Karen. But it's interesting to think about the cruise unit um, having this sort of valuation, which may have been undervalued before, as reflected in, in the stock price pop in today's session, but also the EV part of it. Because this happens you know, on a day where Rivian got funding, which puts it at a valuation of about $28 billion. So it's got these two you know, big, important, hot areas of the market that are potentially undervalued in the marketplace
3: yeah really undervalued and I think you know there 's a lot of confusion about the debt, but I think the total enterprise value is somewhere around sixty five billion and here 's the thing about cruise a year I think it was almost two years ago that uh, Dan Avon, who is the head of Cruz, was incented to either iPO it or spin it off and so if we were to see that, I think it would unlock a lot of value Now this remember this is Cruz, this is not their uh, mm-hmm. e v business but I don't think they get enough value for cruise, but they do get all of the losses, uh, their share of losses. That works its way through the income statement. So they're getting penalized there, but I don't think they're getting the benefit of cruise. And I think that, um, you know, it's hard for people to say, oh, I can't buy it here because look where it was, you know, two, three months ago. It never should have been where it was two or three months ago. So I'm long. I always say if you go home long, it's as if you bought it at this price. I'm still long. so you know, if I own none, I probably would start buying at this price, even though it's run up a lot.
0: Would you want, Tim, GM to spin out Cruise?
4: No, no, I I, I don't think they need to. And certainly part of, uh, I, I think, what's going on here are the synergies of GM as a technology company and as an OEM and all of their capabilities across the board. but. Um, first of all, I, I've been adding to this position over the last month, and, and, and I've been long GM for, for four years, so uh, a couple dead years and a couple exciting you know, months on top of a decent year, but where the company was re-rating, in my view, based upon their ability to run profitably and get rid of unprofitable businesses. What's interesting to me is that the same analysts that are, are now really drooling over this EV business and bright drop which is this business which is last mile delivery for people like FedEx and is going to have a major major impact I think uh in in their commercial use and the valuation of the company um, is you know the the analysts that are now paying attention to this are the same ones that were upgrading Tesla uh, a couple of years ago on the, the dynamics associated with autonomous NEV and, and we haven't talked about the Ultium battery and and, and so the hydrogen fuel cell so um, I like I like the whole thing, and, and, and I, like the, I like the stock here. Uh, if anything, I think it's going significantly higher.
0: Uh, Guy, we usually play this game called would you rather, so I'll pose that question to you. My, one of my favorites. I know, along with It or scrap it. Anyway, GM or Ford, Ford, which by the way, has a stake in Rivian.
2: That's a great, would you, I, we haven't played that with you rather in a while, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stay GM and I'm going to give kudos again to Tim and Karen who've been steadfast in this. One of the things we've said now for a while is that if you just give, for example, just give a 10 multiple on the $6 that GM's going to earn, it's a $60 stock. And a 12 multiple, which is half of where the broader market is trading, you can do the math. It's a $72 stock, right? So, I mean, there's upside here for sure. And you mentioned the spinoffs quickly. The PSX spinoff didn't go particularly well, and I would imagine that eBay is not thrilled with PayPal. And you can say the same thing with McDonald's and Chipotle. So I think they should hold on to these
0: assets, not spin them off. That's just one person's opinion. It's like TV shows. The spinoff's never as good as the original. <laughs> Dan Nathan, where do you stand on GM? Well,
5: wow. uh, Joni loves Chachi. Exactly. Um, I was
0: thinking of that one.
4: Laverne and Shirley. I'm with Guy. I-
5: I think I think Ford is the one here it just broke this long term downtrend it's trading about 10 bucks here I think they're going to have two of the hottest EV cars the Mustang Mach-E crossover SUV and this new line of Broncos, with one of them, the Sport, being an EV, I think these are going to be massive, massive hits for Ford. So to me, you want re-rating. You talk about Rivian investment. You talk about their push into it. I think these are going to be really hot cars for Ford.
0: All right, coming up, pumping the brakes on Peloton, the big call that sent this stock skidding today. Plus, buckle up, we'll tell you about the big trade we spotted today in the options market as United gets ready to report. The details with Best Money Return. Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. Shares of Peloton, the stock falling nearly 6% on a downgrade to a sell at UBS. The analyst saying the risk-reward is skewed to the downside from current levels when measuring valuation against implied growth. It's worth noting in the same call, UBS raised its price target on the stock to 124 a share, um, about 26 bucks lower from where it is right now. Guy, that's going to be the argument, valuation Mm -hmm. here. No, and I admire the call, and I think
2: that Henry Blodgett, I know we're all familiar with. I think Henry said something to the effect, like, you know, I wish he made some of those calls back in 99. So I admire UBS for getting ahead of this into earnings, I think, in early February. and Maybe they'll prove to be right, but better to do it ahead of earnings than behind it. Valuation is stretched. We've talked about it for a while, but we've also talked about the fact that it's not just a bicycle, and they have so many different verticals they can get themselves into. 124 up from 115 logical place for the stock to trade so I like the call I will tell you if it gets to 124 I think you buy it with both hands again
0: If you are a believer that there is pull forward because of the pandemic this would be the prime example I would think Karen do you
3: Yeah I think so I mean it, they, they couldn't have asked for a better setup You know I, there was an article I think um, this weekend about some growing pains and it, you know the delivery problems that they've been having and so that's what happens when you grow this fast Good for them for, for downgrading it. I mean, down $7 is really, that's, I think it hung in there really well, considering this, this stock is just extraordinarily, in my view, extraordinarily high-valued. Maybe it's worth it, but I just I can't get involved with this valuation. Yeah,
0: not too many sales on Wall Street, that's for sure. Coming up, bracing for turbulence. One trader is protecting against a rough ride in shares of United. Winter reports tomorrow after the bell. we bring the trade. And coming up at the top of the hour, Jim is sitting down with the CEO of Logitech. Be sure to catch that exclusive interview on Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is a sign of the times for the airlines. U.S. airfare prices plunged to the lowest level on record. That is according to inflation-adjusted data released from the Transportation Department. Ticket prices are down 30 percent year-over-year, and that is putting pressure on airlines ahead of earnings. Let's bring in Mike Coe, spotted some interesting options activity in one-name reporting tomorrow. Mike, what would you see?
9: Yeah, so we were taking a look at UAL, which is going to be reporting. Uh, it saw two times as many calls trading as puts. And right now the options market is implying a move of about 5% higher or lower by the end of the week. That's in line with the 4.4% or so that the stock has averaged over the last eight quarters. But one of the trades that stuck out to me was actually a big trade in the Feb 38 puts. About 2,000 of those traded for $0.75. And a buyer of those puts is obviously betting that the stock either will trade below that level or possibly hedging against the risk that it might. And that makes a lot of sense when you consider where this stock was after the last reported quarter. In late October, it traded down to about 32.5-ish. It's up more than 36 percent since then. If you owned the stock over that time frame, now might be an interesting time to think about hedging it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tim, what do you think of United?
4: I think if you look at uh, the the majors, uh, United is is the one which has maybe the most operational leverage with a decent balance sheet. Uh, And if you look at the chart on this thing, much as Delta has, uh, they seem to be clinging and holding the 50-day average. And you you have an upward move from here after consolidating for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think the valuations are... are getting to a place where they're challenging based upon, again, some percentage of normalized earnings. Right now, these stocks are trading at about 85 percent of normalized earnings, especially those that have had some dilutive equity issuance. But uh, I think the stocks can move higher, and I think they will continue to.
0: It is amazing to see that stat, Karen, for Q3, down 30 percent year-on-year, the airline ticket prices. I mean, it gives you a Mm -hmm. sense of how much the airlines have to climb out of that hole in terms of pricing.
3: Right. And then on the balance sheet, how much debt they have to climb out of as well. But I think I did see something about them being hopeful about maybe some relief from the Biden administration. And it's interesting. We talked about that a lot. Do, who should provide relief? I always thought it should be the equity or the bondholders, um, not necessarily the government, when so many other industries are also in distress as well.
0: Yeah. All right. Mike, thank you. Mike have more options, action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, you got your final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
4: Tencent Music, TME, is the Spotify of China. and Another big acquisition continues to be the way to play online music in Asia.
0: Karen Feinerman.
3: Yeah, as we talked about during the banks, I like Morgan Stanley. We'll see how their wealth management business. Remember also they bought E-Trade. They closed on that early in the fourth quarter. That's probably been good and um the ranking business so long morgan stanley
0: dan nathan
5: yeah mel i think you call this a double upgrade when an analyst goes from a sell, they skip the hold and they go to the buy well jp morgan did that in american express today it's breaking out of a two-month consolidation i like american express here Traded it up to those prior all time highs
0: guy adami
5: What heinous top is Dan Nathan wearing,
2: Mel? Could you just clarify for us Uh, quickly?
0: Is is it a check of some sort? I don't know. I I don't even know. It's very unlike it. I'm sure it's made of hemp, though. Guy, final trade?
2: Fast fire coming, but (laughs) SLB in earnings on Friday.
0: Thanks for watching Fast Mad
2: Money starts right now.